Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we're launching a fascinating two-part series with the fabulous Kuss Kruger of Business Companion. Kuss is an accountant-turned-exit advisor who now specialises in providing business advice and exit planning services for SMEs. Now, in part one of this two-part series, Kuss maps out his unique approach at a progressive exit for business owners within a five-year window which is easier said than done. Let me tell you, because we deal with many business owners who really should be looking at preparing themselves for exit. But I think course in this episode gives us a really good outline of how that can be done. Then in part two, so our next episode with Kuss, we'll be drilling into a number of moving factors that you ought to be considering when using this approach. And we'll then wrap up the series with some practical tips for accountants, brokers, and business advisors working in this space. So don't go anywhere. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to The Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area. And hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Kuss, thank you so much for coming and chatting to us today. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks for having me. Uh, my absolute pleasure. I already know that today is going to be an absolute cracker. And of course, as I said, we want to talk about a different approach to business broking. But before we start on that line, I'd like mm. to just maybe go back a few years because I know from our previous discussions that you, in fact, started not so much in the business sales and acquisition space, but in the accounting space. Maybe if you can tell us a little bit about that and how did you make a transition from that space into the sales and acquisitions or exit advisory. I guess what I forgot to say is that you, you, you were an accountant at one of the big fours. So, so you were with KPMG. So, and so I guess that probably gave you, uh, you know, an interesting perspective that many exit advisors and consultants maybe don't have. Yeah. What happened uh, oh, it's about five, six years ago, I really just identified there was this need in the market for small, medium owners to really have help in getting out of their business. You know, we sit with a baby boomer society where there's a fair number of people turning 65 every year. Those are the people who's looking to exit their business and looked at some of the uh, stats around and quite sort of scaringly is that one in five businesses actually sell. And the other big thing is that most business owners actually need the sale of their business to fund their retirement. So I just felt that need for, okay, how do we work with these people? Not just, okay, how do I set up another brokering practice and, you know, we just try and sell the business, but how how do I give those people a good fair chance to be one of the five whose business actually Mm. sells? And that's how we Mm. got into the space of exit planning and focusing on the owner as the starting So the need we sort of realized was that of all those business owners out there needing a different approach of 
how do I actually get out of my business? You know, it's not just, well, I, I one morning wake up and decide I'm going to mm. sell the business and become yeah. one, one of the 80% that don't sell their business. And the approach we've adopted, the states actually have sort of is leading the charge on this. It's really you start selling your business five years before you actually get into the sale of it. And that is really, how do I prepare it? How do I make sure that I've got an attractive asset that I'm putting out there before I actually go out there and just put it on the market or go to someone and say, please find me someone who's going to take this thing off my hands? I think you're absolutely right. And and we'll dig into that a little bit Mm. more. But, you know, one of the interesting things, I quite often have this discussion because I'm absolutely on the same page as you. you. You know, the earlier a business owner thinks about sale, the more they do to prepare their business, but also mm. themselves mentally for sale, the better the process will be, the more options they'll have, likely better price, all of those sorts of things. But what I see is the reality is that owners will find it very hard to think about exit until the point where they become really committed to the idea of exit. And at that point, five years just feels too long for them to be sitting and thinking about it. So how do you get your clients over that chasm? I mean, is that something that you have seen happen before? And how do you get your clients over that chasm? It's definitely something that's out there. People go, well, five years is that's so far into the future. But Mm. when you sit and you actually break it down and go, all right, let's just unpack this five years, you know. So most of the time, a buyer will come and say, I want the owner to work one or two years in the business. So therefore, the business must sell in three years time. The actual sales process, marketing the business, going through due diligence, sales contracts can be anywhere between 12 months. Okay, so we're now two years into the future Mm. of where you actually ready for this thing to be sold. Now let's start talking about where you as a business owner, right? And let's start looking at what do you need out of this business to fund your life into the future? Let's see where the business is at, right? And there's my experience is there's 90% of the time there's a gap between, well, I need the business to be worth a million. Oh, you know what? The business is actually worth 600000 So yeah. if we've got to do something about this to meet your future objectives, well, you're not going to do that the day you decide to put the business on the market. So let's start thinking about it. You know, you've got two years to get that right. So that's the conversation or the approach I say to business owners as a minimum to have a look at. Now, mm. the, the more runway you give yourself in you know, that leading up to the sale, the less stressful and the easier it is actually to go, I am going to get to my objective in meeting the value that I'm looking for out of the business. So that's how we overcome it. It's really just work backwards and say, yep, I agree with you. You want to be out at 60? Okay, let's work backwards and and see where you are. So therefore, there is no time left. And I'd like to talk at some stage about the book that you have written, Business Exit Companion, and maybe we can talk about some of the strategies that you highlight in that book. Mm. And in the foreword to that book, John Brain has written a forward where he talks about two examples that he's seen in his friends, Bill, who seemed to have had a medical business and 
exited not on his terms. And Bob, who had a, I can't remember what it was, a, a car dealership or something like that. Maybe can, can you tell us a little bit about, I'm probably not doing the Ford much justice here. <laughs> can no, you tell that's, us that's a little bit those stories <laughs> about those stories and, and what the message is there? So just about the forward, I mean, uh, we assisted John in sort of the exit of his business and taking him through that. But the key message is that it's not only the business that needs to be ready and prepared for this exit event. It's actually more important for the actual owner to be ready and, and prepared for the event. So the example that John has used, which is sort of two of his friends, is leading medical practitioners, surgeons. So therefore, money was not an issue. You know, he retired, he went down the south coast of New South Wales and lived a great lifestyle. But what he didn't do was prepare himself emotionally. And what I often say to business owners, I give you the check that you're looking for, you give me the keys and, you know, Monday morning, you don't come into the office anymore. Why are you going to get out of bed Monday morning? You know, Mm -hmm. so a lot of people will say to you, well, I'm going to go on a cruise and I'm going to play golf. And no, 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 that's what you're going to do. Explain to me, what is your purpose in life going to be? Right. Mm -hmm. So a big part of that, because Business owners by nature, their purpose, why they get up in the morning is hooked and centered around the business itself, right? And they almost find purpose in life for that. So that's an important thing as part of this preparation is really develop something outside the business. Now, in these two examples, that's the surgeon I referred to did not have that. And Mm. it got to a point where his wife said, well, you've got to go check yourself for Alzheimer's. And I think you might be even developing dementia. You know, there's something medically wrong with you. And, you know, went to his doctors and, you know, know know the people in the sort of doctor's community. And at, at the end of the day, the doctor just said to him, mate, there's nothing medically wrong with you. Your problem is you never emotionally prepared for your retirement. Wow. Where the other example in there, the guy who had a car dealership and owned a few restaurants and things like that, did exactly that type of planning, got some interest outside his businesses, sold it before he left. And financially, they were sort of equally well off. But he actually created a new purpose post owning the car dealership, right? Mm. And that's what got him and is keeping him going. So uh, I think a, a lot of time when people think about I'm selling the business, they they all focused on the business. And my view is that the business is merely an instrument to meet the, the actual owner's own personal objectives rather mm. than, than the business is the objective. Mm. I tell you what, we are getting deep here, course. I knew this was going to be a good discussion. I love it. <laughs> so, um, and just as an aside, do you recall what the car dealer owner had as his new purpose? Um, I, I actually sort of these two uh, friends of John. I never met myself, right? right. But um, I know that he sort of had an interest in. Uh, a restaurant he got involved mm. because he the, he was quite into sailing so got involved mm. as being um one of the board members of the local yacht club and mm. and got um served on a number of charities and things like that so mm. um you, you know it was not just 
how am I going to keep myself busy? But how am I going to continue adding value to society? I love it. I love it. And and as I said, you know, these are these are deeper issues. And mm. I think the reality is that these conversations, you know, most advisors won't have these conversations because a they don't come up. They you have to bring them up willfully. They, you know, um, and then you have to know what to do with the conversation once it's come up. So. So I think so true because yeah they they are hard conversations and often and I'll blame this on the blokes um, they don't <laughs> they don't want to talk about these things yeah 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 bit too touchy feely <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Let, let's just talk about the numbers and you know how much how much am I, how much are we going to get for this thing and you know. <laughs> My, my mate in the pub told me that, um, you know, he got so much. Am I going to get the same? You know, yeah, 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 but, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. Um, personally, when I work with someone, I go, if I don't understand you and what you want, I can't do my job as to mm. what do we do to change the business so that it can deliver what you want. Mm. Mm. You know, so it's, it's, our, it's sort of starting point is always the owner. Not, mm. not, not the assets around him. Mm, that's really interesting. And and so when you have those discussions mm. um, a, about purpose, uh, about what it is that they can turn to for fulfilment after their business baby moves on mm. to the, the next person, um, what what are some of the you know, presumably sometimes you, you must be met with the answer of, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what, what I want to know, I don't know what my purpose is. How do you deal with that? What's the steps that you take then? Uh, look, it often, uh, as, I, as I say, come to that, I don't, I don't know. And we, we do use a, a sort of a process which uh, sort of unpacks Eight different components of a of a person's life, you know. So, mm. uh, what's their health? You know, what what are they going to contribute to society? Friendships, mm. and and that helps them through a thinking process. We also bring the partner, you know, their life partner or or whatever, mm. if they've got one, or or so forth. Uh, bring them into the same discussion. Because, yeah, right. Because most sort of situations is there's someone that quite often is at home, and especially if you look at the baby boomer age, um, uh, I think the younger generation families today most have got you know husband and wife working. But you you normally have a situation that these two people saw each other you know f- four hours in the evening uh, before they used to go to bed, and um, you know sometimes over weekends where now they're actually going to be together for 24 hours a day right yeah. you know, and, <laughs> and and that's why involving that person in the discussion actually helps the discussion because yeah. you go well this person has sort of um, set out their life and it helps the the owner go they're not going to be here to babysit me right mm. okay so that you know often to get change you need a burning platform right mm. and having that type of discussion well you know what um 
your wife is involved at the tennis club and she's involved at this and she's, you know, uh, involved at Rotary and she does this because she fills up her whole day already, okay? Um, and that's why she mm. gets up in the morning. She's not going to give all of that up to become your new babysitter, okay? So, therefore, we've got to get <laughs> We've got to get your act together because else you're going to become a lonely old person sitting, sitting, you know, in your chair watching television and and watering the flowers, you know. Yeah. So, so sometimes yeah. you've got to be the, that direct, okay? Right. And, um, you know, call it like it is. You know, it's it's a it's a hard topic to talk about, but yeah, it doesn't help beat around the bush about it. You know, um, yeah. and. Yeah, that that's that's sort of the approach approach we follow. Yeah, and and how do you find, um, you know, what's the reactions that you've had to this discussion? Presumably, there must be a mixed bag of reactions. <laughs> I've actually never really had um, anyone that's ever said to me, you know, what that's got nothing to do with you. Um, right, right, and and it's it's maybe because. I'm I'm uh, upfront by saying, look, when we work together, I will be asking things about sort of your personal stuff. I will be getting an understanding of what your personal finances look like, because, mm. um, and and the reason for that, I I had a, a example of a client of ours was approached by two companies, so. Um, he, he the business wasn't on the market. You know, he got tapped on the shoulder by mm. by, by by two separate uh, entities. Both put fairly good deals on the table. You know, um, if you've got a sort of a one man business and you get a seven times multiple, it's mm. it's something to look at. Yeah, yeah. Now, in his instance, uh, he came to came to us and said have a look at this. What do you think about it? And I had a look at it. Uh, we delved into his sort of personal living, you know, living standards and, and, and things like that. And I said to him, let's have a meeting with your financial planner and unpacked it, modeled it in, in his financial plan. And in that instance, um, it the financial planning showed that he would have run out of cash uh, if he sold the business by the age about sixty-two, wow. Okay, so so by just going and saying, ah, oh, here's a deal, yes, seven times multiple, that must be, you know, the best deal ever for a a privately owned single owner type of uh, business. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you just approach it from that perspective, and We'll talk about how we structured fees, but if if that's your only objective as a let's call it advisor broker to the uh, to the client, mm. you would have actually damaged that client in the process. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah. so so we ran through that and said, mate, great deal, wrong time. Okay, mm. okay. E- either you cut down the the living standard in um, you know one of Sydney's very effluent suburbs. Okay, mm. and you you sort of downsize and and move somewhere else so that mm. you cut down your cost or you don't take the deal right now. I mentioned the thing about fees, right? Um, mm. And I don't know if you want to talk about it now or not. But one of, one of the things we do is 
it, we charge a fee for service rather than a commission on the sale of a business. Mm. And that specific example sort of reinforced it why as a, as a firm, we've decided that's the way we do it. Because yeah. as soon as you are commission-driven um, uh, approach, your approach is how do I get this asset and sell it? Yeah, okay. yeah. We, if you're a fee for service, and by the way, most of the times on the transactions we've done, the fee for services actually come out cheaper than the actual commission. Okay, mm. so, mm. Um, um, but that then says I am here to look after the interest of this owner, not mm. not just the transaction. Okay, it's mm. it's not just the, the transaction. So, I I think it it. Well, my view is it it changes the approach of how you approach the actual sales transaction. Yeah, yeah, and and so what actually happened then in the end with this client? I you know I'm guessing he didn't take the, the yeah, deal at that time. Yeah, he just said thank you, thank you very much, guys. But you know for these and these and these reasons, um, I cannot take it. And they, uh, you know, both both uh, parties who made him an offer. When he, he he sort of showed them that look, um, that this is what will happen to me. Um, mm. When look, we can understand it, and you know, um, yeah. let let's see what happens five years or so down the track, and we'll keep talking. And so, what what was the path for him then? So obviously, you've identified. Okay, here's this gap. Here's <laughs> this gap in your, uh, you know, your cash requirements into the future to maintain a similar standard of life. And yeah. here's what your business can provide for you now. Um, presumably, he has he has to meet that gap in some way, um, even even though he didn't take the deal at that time. So what did, what did he do? So, look, the, uh, uh, the, the, the big thing is um, uh, in, in this situation, um, he, he's drawing a massive salary out of the business. Right. Right, you know, um, a fairly large salary for the type of uh, role that he's playing in the business. And right. if he sold his business, he would have been paid a market-related salary for that role. Right, which was right. which was about twenty percent of what he took out as a salary. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so that's where the gap basically uh, came up. But at the same time, it did show him that look, um, you you have to, and and that I mean that's the role of a financial planner. We uh, I don't do financial planning and that mm. type of advice, but we work with like as a, uh, a tag team together was, mate, you, you do have to look at what you're doing because, you know, you're going to come up five years or um, five to eight years in the future and you've got to make sure that there's enough then because mm. that uh, you, you're not always going to get this deal and you're not always going to get that type of salary. So, so mm. sometimes a lot of these sort of early conversations actually – you, you'll be surprised how many business owners um, I come across and, you know, I ask the question, so, you know, have, have you done your financial planning? No, I've been thinking I should get a financial planner, but <laughs> I, I, I'm, it, it's one of those things yeah. that, yes, it's been on my list for five years. And I go, oh, okay, oops, mm. 
um, let, let's let's take some action there, you know. And it's the same, uh, you know, on the legal side. You go, so how much mm. estate planning have you done? Oh, mm. um, no, we did a will when we got married. And, you know, since then we've had kids and grandchildren. And, mm. yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah so, so, again, by focusing on the person, I, I go, I ask those hard questions. So, show mm. me your financial planning, all right? Um, so, how do you know you're going to be you're going to be fine in if you sell this business because selling a business is not the only exit option that a business owner has got mm. you know a lot of people think um I, i've only got um sort of broadly um two two exit options you know the one is i just close things down and i i call it a day all right mm. uh not necessarily liquidate the business, but you know, just sell it and shut the doors. The yeah. other option is I have to sell it to someone. Now, may that be um, staff, or may it be family, or may it be an external buyer? Where my view is there is there, there is a third option, and especially in a sort of oversupplied market, is is that of um, and and. We've successfully done it um, with a few few of our clients. Is implement or, or install a good general manager CEO. Mm. Okay, we've got large businesses out there that gets run by professional CEOs. Right, so um, it's not well. If the person is not the owner of the business, they can't run a business. Okay, so it's. Um, Put a CEO in place um, in the business. The owner, and this is part of that discussion of purpose, especially when they struggle with purpose and things like that, is to say, mm-hmm. we'll, we will help you to become a true chairman of the business, right? So you're going to step out of the business, but on a monthly basis, there's still some form of involvement being the chairman and the CEO runs the business. That's an incredibly interesting proposition that you're running here about the third option to exit. Presumably, you've had clients who've gone down this path in the past then, who've taken this third option, or has everyone just sort of <laughs> had this third option and then said, you know what, that's a great idea, but no, hell no, I just want to get out. <laughs> I think, yes, if you just initially put it on the table, the, the owner goes, oh, no, you, you know, that can never work. But I think when you explain to them that, look, we bring a person on board. We give give that person some skin in the game. So part of the third option is that of you bring in a CEO into the business um, that can start running the business for you and the owner starts progressively stepping out of the business. And ultimately, the end objective is just being that of the chairman of the business. Now, we covered off earlier that, you know, how do you give people purpose? Um, and that is one of the ways of getting purpose um, mm. by still having some involvement but not having the day-to-day operational stress of actually running the business. Now, yes, there is a uh, uh, one uh, part of this is the owner needs to have that preparedness of I will step out of the business. Um, I, I do admit um, there, there are certain clients that we've worked with where we haven't suggested this because of the mere personality of the person <laughs> is that 
they they won't give up anything. They need to control everything, yeah. and and that type of structure will just not work for them. But mm-hmm. that's not everyone. Okay, so we've had, we've had that done successfully, um, and the the other, um, you know, that's one key part of making that work is mm-hmm. that the owner is willing to actually step back. Um, mm-hmm. The second uh, part of that is you have to get that general manager or CEO some skin in the game. Right, mm. you know, um, uh, I'm not uh, by no means suggesting you actually give away equity, but you might give a uh, give them or sell them equity at a slightly slightly reduced rate mm. um, than than what the sort of value is, and get them to buy in um, over a period of time. So mm. we normally put that type of structure in place um, by bringing the CEO on board. Sort of a couple of years or so prior to the owner saying, "Now I want to really step out," so mm. that there's a proper handover. No different than the owner selling their business and being told, uh, "Stay on for a couple of years while the the person who's taking over from you is um, uh, getting their feet under the table." Mm-hmm. Wow, well, and I mean, you know, that sounds like a um, a really sensible third option that um, I don't hear being used a lot. So I, I really, um, you know, credit to you for um, you know being creative in options that you're providing to your clients here of how they can deal with this concept of how do we exit the business whilst as you say still maintaining you know the purpose that works for us because many people are very attached to uh, their business you know quite often something that they have grown over you know often decades and the thought of them losing all contact with it entirely you know can create a real you know a real issue <laughs> in, in you know approaching any sort of concept of of exit so this is a, I think you know a really sensible way of um, approaching it and maybe even taking baby steps over time to um, mm. move out so, so how does this work? Where do you find your uh, general managers or your professional CEOs? Is this you just go through a, a usual recruitment process, or is there a, a, a different a different place you go to find these uh, the, these potential CEOs? We um, often, you know, go look for them in um, sort of the larger firms, right? mm. you know, people who might be sitting in uh, sort of the corporate space, tired of the corporate politics of, of large organisations and uh, does, might not, you know, have got the skills and are quite entrepreneurial, but doesn't have the, the money to start their own thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so, so that's often, um, you know, through networking, I, I always say, you know, the the best place to find people is actually ask people that you know. Okay, so all of us, and, and I mean, when I say all of us, I, I, I sort of include myself. We we often <laughs> do not do not use the people we actually know. Yeah, that's say, really true. Yeah, you know, you know what? I've got this need um, over here. Do you know someone who it might suit? But Often, well, the times we've done it, we've we've normally found the person through um, 
yeah, a headhunting process by, mm. you know, this, this, this is um, a competitor that, that's in that same space. People might know someone in there and then we'll tap the person on the shoulder and say, what, what does this sound like to you? And if you think of some of these examples of some of these, uh, I guess, deals you've put together, maybe can you talk to us about what makes this something that is more likely to work? So obviously we've talked about the ability of the uh, seller, the business owner, to um, deal with someone else coming into the business and to be able to work with them. But what else are some of the markers? Are there other things that you look for? That one, as you've covered, obviously very much the right person and being very clear as to what are those KPIs that we're going to hold this person accountable to? Mm. Okay, um, you know, from day one, they, you know, they, they, there needs to be a clear expectation. Also, making sure that you actually structure the business that it runs. I don't want to say like a corporate listed business, but you know, there's a proper governance structure in place mm. in the form of. Uh, proper monthly reporting, there's a proper board structure, you know, that uh, there's a group of people that meet on a monthly basis, that's where the CEO needs to come and report back to to, to that two or three people that, that might be there. Um, that's where, the, where he brainstorms, so that's where the owner goes, I've got this investment, I am not running the investment anymore, but I can still keep an eye on the investment, mm, right? you know. Yeah. Um, and and also um, ensure that um, there's enough structure and processes in the organisation that if something goes wrong, it will flag up to the top um, without the, the person who, who owns most of the... Um, Equity having to be there to to be the ears on the ground. Yeah. Okay. So 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 I term it. We you need you need to slightly corporatize the business mm. without without implementing red tape and politics in in the process. Mm. Mm. Which is a fine line, isn't it? That's a <laughs> you mm. know, that's mm. a very fine line. <laughs> so, so what I mean by red tape is there's certain business practices which are just good business practices to have. Doesn't matter if you a small business, medium business or a large corporate, you know, in the sense of there should be a, a management team and that, you know, it doesn't have to be ten people. But I always say to business owners, you should have a trusted person that even you can sit with on a monthly basis and go, let's talk about where the business is going, how does it how did it perform, what what are the things I'm going to focus on for the next month? And, you know, it helps uh, keeping you accountable, Mm. right? Because, um, and look, uh, being an owner or uh, could be lonely. So, so having good practices about, um, you know, having proper policies and procedures in place and um, proper reporting structures and things like that is fine. It's where, you lose the nimbleness of the business by, um, you know, everything has to be done in triplicate and five people have to sign it and 
uh, no decisions can be made. It's yeah, it's really how you structure that and maintain that small business culture yeah. in the, in the organisation. Well, that's it for part one of our two-part series with Kus Kruger of Business Companion. We'll pick up on our conversation with Kus next week where we'll drill into a number of moving factors that need to be considered when using this approach. Then we'll wrap up the series with practical tips for our accountants, brokers and M&A advisors who are assisting SMEs in their business exit planning. Now, look, please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your other favourite podcast player to get notifications straight to your phone as soon as part two is out. And until then, thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oakey and The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 